You're listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. Hey there, welcome to episode 133 of Push the Point, presented by the Mash Those Buttons Podcast Network, your source, excuse me, for Overwatch League news, player updates, storylines, and more for season five of the Overwatch League. I'm your host, Ramses, here with Labosco. Follow us on Twitter at PushPointPOD, at Labosco, at Ramses underscore OW. Leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to it. Send us an email at pushthepoint.gmail.com. How are you doing, Labosco? I'm doing pretty good. it, it it was nice to have some Overwatch to watch again. Um, it was really cool to see some friends get the opportunity of a lifetime as well this week. Uh, you know, people that I've known for a while doing Overwatch broadcasting and seeing them live out their dream is really cool. Mm-hmm. We didn't even talk about that last time, I think, because we kind of got buried under just everything going on. There was a lot. The league. Yeah. But um, there w- they did announce the casting la- the casting lineup for season five and like you said there's a bunch of people on there that we've had on the show but are also have been are also very good friends of ours yeah lemon kiwi uh Nekura, you know we haven't had leg day on but leg day as well uh trid um in particular of people that that we know that that are in the league and uh getting their chance to show what they can do and uh it's really exciting and it's awesome that they They've made it. They, they've made it to the Overwatch League and a lot of deserving people for sure. For sure. Yeah, we got our lineups of Jaws and Jaws and Necra, a Lemon. I'm sorry, Lemon Legs for, or Leg Day and Lemon Kiwi. And then, of course, you got your Uber, Mr. X, um, and then uh, Vicky Kitty and Trid. And then that actually makes you realize, I think that's x and uber are the only like classic casting duo we still have in the league like og yeah um we did get to for the the game in texas we did and get a nice little uh uh, zp and a vast though which was awesome yes and avril and um achilles correct yeah avril and achilles so are on the are are they here this year yeah they're they're doing apac um Achilles is an OG as well, though, and I, I would call I'd call Avril as well, even though Avril wasn't doing, um, you know, Overwatch League from the beginning. I still can kind of consider him an OG. Oh, he's been around forever. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I honestly, honestly, like basically everybody who's made it now are kind of they're not OGs, but they're like, you know, people that have been, you know, biding their time and trying to to break in for a while. Like these are people that have been on the grind for a long time. I mean lemon leg day uh i i gosh before overwatch league was a thing you know what i mean like, like i've i've known these people and and known them for 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 a while and and they've been working towards this so mm-hmm. always happy to see our friends succeed so um let's get into week one Let's get into week one of the Overwatch League season five. First things first, kind of taking a quick, uh, quick look at the meta. Um, we weren't super sure what we were going to see heading into, I think, week one. Yeah, um, it, it first... depends on who you are. <laughs> I was kind of sure. Okay, well, I wasn't sure necessarily what we were going to see. I think part of what's fun about the beginning of the season is that stuff has been played in scrims a bunch, but st- but we don't have anything locked in, like definitively proven as the best thing to play. Mm-hmm. 
And and I still as don't, you by kind the way. As you move forward, like as I think you get some more games under your belt, uh, a definitive kind of best meta starts to emerge. It happened last year where people were talking about like, oh, this is why like roll people were complaining about roll queue. Remember because they were saying like, we'll see like this these first couple games don't have roll queue in them, and look, it's so awesome. There's so much more rock paper scissors with comps, and by the end of like that first stage, you start to see one specific meta emerge. I feel like we're a little bit ahead on that. I think we have our DPS line and probably our support line like figured out. But what mostly has been switching around is who, um, what you're playing at tank. Right now you're seeing a lot of soldier, player hit scan player, and then Genji, sometimes an echo for your projectile DPS, and then on a Lucio as your uh, support system. Sometimes, I know earlier in the week, we saw a lot of uh, Winston, a team or two ran Doomfist, but not too many people. And then we saw, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we saw a lot more Zarya, like near, like I think on as, later on Saturday and most of Sunday. As far as other tanks, yeah. Uh, we saw more Zarya than we saw any of the other tanks uh, other than the first two that you mentioned. We didn't see any Orisa. We saw, we did see Roadhog though. We did see Roadhog for a little bit on, was it day one, I believe we saw a little bit of Roadhog. So, mm-hmm. so Roadhog is actually the one who got in before the the Arisa, which I think, you know, if you're somebody who's been playing quick play a lot, you've seen a lot of Arisa. And, and maybe that's just because, um, you know, lower ELO, I think, is part of what has to do with it. But I also think when you look at what teams are doing with their compositions, I don't think the Arisa fits in. I think that the Winston and the Doomfist fit more with the style that we're seeing be the prevalent style. I think it, it really depends on your team, what you've been playing more so of, of the Doomfist or the Winston. And also like priorities and things like that. So like I think there's a, I think there's a bit of difference uh, from a lot of the teams and how they're running things. And I don't know how long this this soldier and the the Genji is going to last because I think that we're seeing that there's a couple of different variations that maybe can also sort of do things really well. Well, and I didn't mention as well. We saw some teams also pull out the Widowmaker occasionally on on certain, certain maps. maps. It definitely was. There's a lot of map maps that were. Yeah. Yes, I, I think so, that's part of it. But the other thing to to think about right now as well, um, like Reaper, we, we didn't mention Reaper yet, but Reaper did get a lot of playing time, too. Um, and it was another thing where it was kind of a little bit more map dependent for some of the stuff that you were seeing with the Reaper. But it, it's I, I think it's still too early to tell. Like we have kind of our base, but I think there's still a lot of room for variation because I think teams still don't really know um, what's like the best way to go about things. Uh, like we also saw a lot of tracer too, um, and, and it was team dependent as well, right? Like like Houston is a team that you like a lot. They ran a lot of echo compared to other teams, um, until they couldn't really run the echo, and, and yeah. they were kind of forced off of it. But there was reasons for that, which we'll get into when we get to the, those games. Yes, we will. Uh, let's start off with day one Friday. A uh, quick note as well: APAC is starting, I think, next week. So no APAC games for this first, uh, for today at least, but we'll cover them in the future when they pop up. We actually got uh, two weeks. Oh, two weeks. Yeah. So yeah, plenty of time. Uh, New York Excelsior versus LA Gladiators. Uh, first time getting to see either one of these teams. Um, New York is in is one of these teams we've had some questions of because for one, they had a pretty tight roster compared to some of like the bigger teams like the gladiators or maybe like the shock but they're also a team that has been running with um the two flex supports not putting a main support on the roster and we 
there's been questions a lot as far as how that would really work. Um, I don't know, Labosco, what did you think as far as did it, did it feel noticeable as far as the, the difference in main support play compared to what we might be traditionally used to? I mean, I don't think so, because I don't think I don't know. I, I don't think um, Lucio is like Lucio doesn't really the the, the way that Lucio plays. Uh, I don't can it's is that really a main support, I guess, by terminology. But like th- that's sort of a, a role where like you just need somebody who's hyper gifted on that specific hero. Um, and knows how to to use the speed and everything like I don't necessarily think it matters if it's somebody who played only main support because like what from like how you play a mercy translates over to how you play a Lucio or a Moira you know what I mean like, like I think that mm-hmm. the play style of Lucio uh, is so much different and, and again I this isn't something that don't, I don't have confirmed but I'm sure as far as comm structure and stuff in 5v5, things have changed quite a bit. And how that Lucio you know, plays is probably a little bit different as far as like responsibilities of what the Lucio specifically is supposed to be doing. But I think it does help if you have somebody, especially right now, who is more used to playing Lucio than somebody who's not. Mm-hmm. So LA Gladiators 3-1 over New York. Um Glad's look really solid across this whole matchup. Um, I know initially we were kind of, well, we, we kind of, there's one map that New York takes off, um, takes off of them with push and circuit Royal. Uh, they put up, a, they go from kind of getting pushed through most of the map to really putting a solid uh, 0.3 defense. Um, I know the casters are talking a lot about the way that that map is designed. It's the only map I think right now, or at least one of a very small pool where the defenders start a spawn with high ground and New York was just able to really kind of chew them out no matter how much like it, the glads like had to juggle between like contesting high ground, but pushing the cart. And I think we're seeing that in situations like that, even though you don't have an off tank to necessarily handle those duties, they're still duties that need to happen. Like we're still seeing teams have to commit resources to doing those things. I think too, like the gladiators felt very um, much like they were trying something different when they were on that map too. Like they didn't really, uh, they had space on the, the, um, the Sigma to start off, I believe on their attack and stuff like they, they were doing a lot of different stuff on that map. So I don't know how much, how much weight I put into that one specifically. It felt more like they were trying some things to see how it would work um, to handle what, what the New York Excelsior were doing. I also think that for what New York was running, I think that they just had a little bit of an easier time of, you know, keeping control of that high ground, uh, even if they didn't necessarily have numbers, because if you're playing Tracer like Flora, you know, I thought Flora played pretty well on the Tracer on that map specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And just everything that Flora ended up playing um worked out pretty well against what you were seeing from the other side so i don't don't know how much of it is like um the gladiators just not playing well other than maybe them trying some things that maybe you know will work on this map eventually but they've got to kind of lab some things out because they still had some pretty good like their first hold was at the beginning of the the map was like super good and i don't know i'm not worried about the gladiators is what i'm saying you know, oh, definitely. It, like, like they were still the dominant. They were a dominant force in this game other than really that one map, you know, and and it's not that like New York was bad, but that's just how much better the gladiators were. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Um, what did you think of Patapan so like in that first matchup? I thought he was really good. Um, I think he played basically every map other than the the map where they decided to go with Ans Kevster. So he played really well. He was playing the the uh, mostly the your Genji. Echo, your Genji. Yeah. Mostly Genji, though. They didn't really... I yeah. don't think they played a lot of um, Echo for It was like a swap for, for maybe like a push or two, but it wasn't something they Yeah, they, they, they didn't really stick with that. They were more Genji-focused, and then they did the Tracer um, at certain points on certain maps, too. And I thought he played really well. I, I, I thought that he fit in nicely on this team. Um, he's another option for you to play Tracer, so you can have Kevster kind of focusing on playing the Soldier 76 because he was... I think Kevstar was a monster on the soldier all week. Mm -hmm. So I I think you you have a very good complement to what you have in Kevstar when you're you know when you're not doing anything with Ons where he's playing like a a Widowmaker or something. You know what I mean? Where you don't need that hit scan specialist. So I I think yeah. he's going to I think he's fitting really nicely into the role that they they want for him. It it seemed like on Li Jing, he kind of had I, I saw a couple casters mentioning it as well. It seemed like he had a little bit of I don't know if you want to call it rust. It kind of took him a little bit to find his groove. But once you saw him on Midtown and on New Queen Street, he looked very good. It it's his really first solid. map in the Overwatch League. I like it's like, OK, I, I'm not worried about it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, my God, his first map, he was a little bit rough because maybe there was a lot of emotions for some reason for him because it's. It's his first game in the Overwatch League. And sure, he's been a pro in other games, but like the guy was always an Overwatch player. It's a different thing. Mm. I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to hold a guy accountable for his first map ever in the league. You know what I mean? Like, like give him a couple more games to, to really kind of make a judge of it. And, and I would say his later stuff as he continued on in that game and then in the next game i think he's fine i think he's going to be pretty good i think that the gladiators this week were one of the teams that looked the best to me so reiner also looked really good i think for glads uh you saw him mostly on like the winston with a little bit i think he played a, a little bit of ryan if i remember correctly but mostly on the winston um happy to see him in i honestly i kind of had assumed just just Again, you're going to tell me this is incorrect. I don't disagree with you. But I, I kind of had assumed with we know like what space's ceiling is that like maybe they would just hard force space across everything. But just to see Reiner, I think, play like so well and really kind of dictate the pace of fights with a lot of his primal rages. It was good. I, I was really happy to see it. Why? You know, maybe space one day can be that. But when you're talking about a guy who's how, you know, hours on, on Winston comparing each other. And and not just like playing Winston at like a low level. You're talking about a guy who's played Winston for a long time at a pretty high level for a while, right? Like you're just unless you're you're, you know, somebody who's ridiculous at everything and not that space isn't really good. You just don't expect that person to understand some of the nuances that fast. Mm -hmm. So. It, it made sense to me, like especially oh. with, with with the fact that Winston is so prominent right now. Thoughts on New York before we move on to the next one. Um, they're kind of what I expected. You know, they're not they don't quite have enough to really compete with the really, really good teams. But if I'm a team and it's probably going to be in the middle of the pack, I might get a little bit worried. Mm -hmm. It definitely felt like. The Yaki deadlift, I think, wasn't as much as we really want. I think it was not enough to kind of put them over the edge, but it wasn't like it was even him on his own. They were competitive in certain bits. They were. They it were felt, competitive. Yes. And, and it like, felt like. Yeah. That's what I expect. 
Yeah, it's it really seemed like on so Friday when we or sorry Thursday when we first saw them, it really felt like okay, like they might like they they lose here, but like they're pretty competitive. Um, not as much, I would say, looking at San Francisco Shock versus Paris Eternal. Um, Shock come out with we've talked about it all off season, but like a a, sig- a significantly remodeled roster, um, brand new DPS and tank lines. Um, Violet, the only original player, I think, playing for the team right now. And I, I'm trying to think of the best way of saying this. Like, Sam, so Paris puts up a decent fight on King's Row. Um, but across the board, San Francisco really kind of dictated the pace of this match. Proper, so far, has been everything advertised. Um, really solid. Uh, you saw him on the Soldier. Um, and you had Sam on the Genji. Um, I know there's people, you saw... It was I don't remember which caster was covering it. Um, talking about like everybody on Reddit being mad that Sam actually had a good showing because apparently there he's had somebody who's had a negative perception on competitive Overwatch Reddit for a long time because they pick who they like. But um, San Francisco looked really really strong. Uh, you had Violet on the Lucio, Finn on the Ana, which is not something I would have ever thought would have happened two years ago, but it looked pretty good. I mean, Kaluge looking solid on the Winston as well. I'm not as surprised by that because like. Violet was always more known for his Zenyatta, right? Like, like not that his Anna mm. was bad, but like, who was the who was the Anna for the, for the shock when they were winning championships? It was Twilight. Oh, Twilight, right. Twilight, and or Architect that one time. Yeah, exactly. So, so that that wasn't too much of a surprise for me. And like, you know, kind of what we were talking about a little bit with the Lucio before. Um, there's a lot of people who will say that like the Lucio, you know, your Lucio player should be like your best player, right? Because there's there's like such an impact that can be made on that player. So Violet being on the Lucio kind of makes sense um, because he's going to add a lot of damage in like like Lucio can surprisingly, if you have somebody who's really good mechanically, can do a lot of damage and then mm-hmm. just the ability to speed around and, and just do the stuff that a support needs to do like Lucio can be super good. So not too surprised seeing Violet there. Um, I really was impressed with how well san francisco worked together more than anything else you know what i mean i thought you know i i wasn't sure about you know because collusion was always an off tank so i wasn't sure how he was going to be i thought collusion pressed me on the winston i thought his winston mechanics were actually pretty nutty like i i was really impressed with him as far yeah. as players on this team he played well for sure but like <laughs> i guess we shouldn't be too surprised like um you know, sometimes I think like people get too too hung on coaching, but like I, I think that when you have this many new players, and obviously one, this means they scouted pretty well, but two, um, to have them working in tandem the way that they seem to be working, at least from what we've seen so far this early on, like that's pretty good. So, so mm-hmm. I, I give props to to Krusty and the coaching staff for what they've been able to do here with you know basically a new roster. Brief appearance as well from Kilo, who I think played the Widowmaker on Dorado. Um, and it was, it was between him and good. oh, dude, it was ridiculous. Like just sniping people out of the sky. San Francisco looks really good. Um, I think I'm guilty of this as well. We kind of un- some there are those in the community who kind of underrated this roster, expected them to be really good, but maybe not championship level. This first start so far looks really, really good. Um, they look really, really strong. I I think that part of this is like when you have guys that that 
you know, didn't have the best reputation coming into the league um, or who were who've been rebuilding their reputation, I should say. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they were negative players before and now they've been trying to turn into to people that can be, you know, pros, you know, actual professionals and, and not like, you know, people who are super toxic and whatever. Like, I think that there's always going to be sort of um, there, there's that dark cloud that follows you, whether you want it to or not. So um, it's a matter of now just making sure that you stay positive and stuff like that for guys like that. But I think that also kind of uh, can get in the way of judgment for people when it comes to mm. just an objective look at a team. Uh, moving on to Florida versus Atlanta Rain. Um, <laughs> Florida takes the first map. They take Lee Jang Tower to Wanton. And uh, of course, you and I, I don't know if you and I talked about it. You saw our buddy Howler's tweet to me like, stop, stop the game. We went like, <laughs> don't the, let it go any further. Don't let it go on. <laughs> um, Florida, even though they lose 3 1 here, Florida looked pretty decent. Um, yeah. Hydron, it, you have Hydron on the Soldier checkmate on the Genji. Um, pretty good pretty strong someone i think their tank player was some was <laughs> was someone who had i've seen a lot more talk about recently uh one of those guys who i think maybe like i wasn't super aware of but i've seen several people who cover contenders hype him up a lot yeah he played pretty well um majid i think i, th- I think uh, sir majid had a similar experience to what we talked about with um patapan a little bit where like maybe was a i think that first map kind of was getting his footing together, but once he started rolling, I thought played pretty well. You're also talking two super young guys, I think, is another thing to point out as well for Patafan and for Sir Majid. We're like, they're they're both like 18. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like these aren't guys that are like 23 coming into the league. You know, I, I think that um when when you're that young, it's hard to not have certain emotions when you're playing your first professional game. Um, they look pretty good, but I think they they so they hang tough with Atlanta through map one, two, uh, three, and four kind of get pushed a little bit the other way. Uh Gibraltar, uh, they it gets held the first point. Um, Atlanta looks really strong right now. Um, Kai Nero is an incredible DPS line. Uh Hawk, I think, just covers is plays so many tanks at such a high level that you feel really good about having him in there. Um I was not expecting Ultraviolet to be this freaking good. Like, and he had he had a great weekend, but Ultraviolet had tons of people talking about his Ana play this weekend. So, you know, one thing that I think has been really prevalent here in week one is we're kind of, you know, going through these games. And now that we get to talk about one of the Anas that I've wanted to talk about is like you're seeing the value right now of having a very good Anna and like the value of Nade in 5v5. And and how important it is to be hitting anti nades with it specifically. So like protecting the Anna and, and like, you know, how quick is your Anna dying is like super important right now. You know, the, there was a, a stat for for the early. So for this early portion, it was I think it was like on one of the last games. It was I think it was Uber who who put out the stat or the stat that he was given that um you are 25 percent more likely to lose a fight when you're down a player than you were previously in overwatch. Um, mm-hmm. So, so when, when you take that into consideration, um, the value of Anna, I think is the highest, the most important for a team. So if you're Anna dice first, you're, you, you know, the percentage goes even higher than 25% that you're probably going to lose the fight, you know, more likely. Um, so I think that 
makes a big difference. And when you have somebody like Ultraviolet who's able to do so much and protect himself so well, um, it makes it really hard on teams. Also, I think the, their play style, like they are so hyper aggressive onto certain targets and and the the ability for Hawk to get in and really disrupt was super good on, on the um, the the doom fist. So so mm-hmm. I think that they are, are a team that that somebody's going to have to try and solve on how they best want to tackle what they're getting from the other side. Agreed, agreed. Uh, next game, San Francisco Shock 3-0 over London Spitfire. Um, I, and this is kind of, London has a down than up week. I think when for, after we saw what happened um, with San Francisco Shock for their first game, I think it, we pretty much expected them to pretty handily deal with mm-hmm. London. Um, Hottie, Backbone, Admiral, Landon, Sparker. Um, Poco comes in a little bit to play, uh, I think, the Diva at one point over on Watchpoint Gibraltar, but pretty solid, just pretty straightforward um, full sweep from San Francisco. Yeah, they they looked they looked even better than they did in game number one. You know, I, I, I think obviously we're dealing with a different talent level of a team here, not by a lot, but um, San Francisco just showed out in that one and, and really handled the team that they should handle like this, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you um, if San Francisco expects to be a championship team again, this is what you need to see them do when they play teams like London or Vancouver or, or, you know, even in New York or something. And then Boston uprising versus Vancouver Titans. Uh, People were, people were already referring to it as the bread bowl or like the toilet bowl or just whatever, whatever meme games that Boston and Vancouver have been in, in, have been part of in the past couple of years. Um, This one goes the distance. It goes three, two over to Boston. Um, It was kind of interesting. I, I think now that Stryker has a haircut, I did not recognize like the, that corner portrait, at least for the first couple of times that he was playing. Um, but it's interesting. Vancouver plays really strong with um when they have Psycho in at the beginning to play that Echo. Um, there's bits like on Midtown where he's playing super well. Um, by th- and I don't know. Vancouver's a, a team, but I feel. I feel like almost this slight twinge of like what Paul Zabel talked about with Toronto a couple of years ago, where like at some point there will be a week where they beat somebody unexpected and we're going to be like, oh, they have really good players on this team. It's just not going to work out. I, I don't know. Like how they have some ta- they, have they have some really of, talented people on this team. Yeah, like, like but Ma- I don't know. Like Massa, I think, was one of the better players for them in this first game. Um, Psycho, I thought, played pretty well. Aspire was all right. Um, but. I, I think this was more of like, I, to me, this felt like Boston still trying to figure some things out more so than like Vancouver was like really give them a run for their money. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. I feel like Boston is a team that's still coming together. I think that they're the more talented team of these two. And and you're sort of seeing them work through things almost in real time a little bit because um, well, they were swapping people out like all across the match. Like not- punk. punk the map like here and there like map dependent yes but like crimson switched out for mcd and then you had valentine and striker like you had well not valentine you had striker swiping out for victoria at certain points um marvell our boy comes in for oasis at the end um played well which too. Was, 
It was funny. I think, I don't know if you saw, I think I sent you it, that picture of um, Kenobi just like at long last. And it was a lucky future Zenith uh, Marvel on Doomfist, like yeah. from years and years ago. He played well, it, though. Um, he did. I, I thought he was yeah. really, his Doom was pretty good. So, yeah. Like you said, Boston's still, ta- I think, figuring out a lot of their stuff. Um, what was your take on Stryker's performance week one? Uh, he still got it. <laughs> He's still the dude. Like, the guy carried some fights for, for Boston. Like he is still a force to be reckoned with in this league. Um, I'm glad that he's, he's the, still playing. He's the dude against Vancouver. I think, I don't know. Like what? Okay. We'll talk- if you're going to, if you're going to compare him playing a team that is so far ahead of everybody right now compared to Boston, like you can't make that comparison. You can't No, that, well, I can't, I can't, but it's fun to rile you up. Um, I'm just saying like, he's still that dude. Like, uh, and he was one of the bright spots in the gladiators game that you're alluding to. So, um, the high point of my weekend was the Houston outlaws three owing the Dallas fuel. Um, they come out in a really, with a lineup that I was not really expecting. You had a uh, Pelican and merit, um, for your DPS line, Dante on, uh, the do playing tank, pretty much playing Doomfist the whole time. Um, and then, Iris and Lastro on your support lineup. Um, Fuel come out with a a, mo- a little bit more consistent of a lineup, I would say. They had Edison, Sparkle, Fearless, Fielder, Chio. Hanbrin comes in to play a couple of the off tanks occasionally. Um, but I, we, we alluded to it earlier. I think Houston's another team that came out with just such a hyper-aggressive composition and like play style that Dallas seemed very caught off guard by it and was yeah. constantly reacting to stuff rather than forcing things. Yeah, they, I don't think they under not understood. I don't think they knew how they wanted to attack what Houston was doing to them. Um, Pelican and Dante were just blowing people up. Like, like um, Fielder had a really rough game. Like They did not protect Fielder well for Dallas in this one. So to me, it sort of felt like, okay, Dallas doesn't know how they want to deal with what Houston's doing to them. I don't know if it's because of lack of seeing this sort of composition during scrims or what it was, but like they just didn't seem to have an answer for what was happening to them. I also thought Iris had just, you know, a super banger of a game because he Mm -hmm. he really had a lot more freedom than Um, Fielder because there wasn't the pressure on him. Lavasco, it is Iris now, apparently, as, I, as they made sure to say a bunch of times on the desk. Whatever. Iris. Sorry. Iris. I'm what, but but it's going to be one of the you go. I was going to say, regardless of that, like there there wasn't the same pressure on him as there was on Fielder, right? L- like mm-hmm. you look so much better on a hero if you don't have a Doomfist and, a, and an Echo coming in and destroying you, right? Like l- like you're you're going to you're just going to look better anyways. But also, Iris was doing everything that you wanted your Anna to do. So I think well, that the, that made it seem even more pronounced than it normally would be. There were still bits as well where, like, Fielder was still pulling off some crazy sleeps on a Pelican and onto um, Dante. I think, but like you said, it's just the amount of protection that he had was just so much different. Where he had less room to actively do that. Yeah. And and even when uh, like like they kind of tried to like you know use the Zarian stuff, I I, I it just wouldn't didn't work out for them. Um, mm-hmm. and and you also didn't see the DP their DPS just have that good of an effect because they couldn't get that backline access the way you were seeing Houston do that. So like if you're already lost Jurano, you've already lost the fight, right? We already talked about that before. Um, this is the game where I think it was most pronounced. Pelicans an animal. 
Um, he was freaking ridiculous. The Dante Doomfist, I love it so much. Um, it also, I, again, this is me without having not having any sort of insight into how that team manages their gameplay. But it felt, I think it, I liked it a little bit more when Dante was in, only because it felt a little bit smoother. Like maybe he might be call, shot calling. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm speaking out of my butt right now. But like between Pelican and Dante and Merritt also had a really good game that day on the soldier. Um, really evasive where like they couldn't nail him down to kill him a lot of times. He would just barely manage to get out of fights and then turn around with that corner and just be able to chunk down people before they could really before they could um like kind of seal the deal on stuff. And, and that's one of those things you have to wonder for Dallas, too. Is that a shot calling problem? Were they not really focusing on targets as well? Um, I think there's a lot of questions really from that first game for Dallas where you're like, yeah, this, you know, it, I don't think it's cause for concern. Like it wasn't a pretty three zero, but it wasn't like it wasn't. It didn't feel like there was a skill gap. It felt like there was a um, almost like a not not a coaching gap, but like a a focus gap. Yeah, I get you. I have concerns about Houston's play style as it goes forward. We'll talk about it for the second game. Um, Washington Justice three one over Toronto Defiant. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. It felt like Happy was very much the dominant force across most of this game. Um, you had him in on all four maps, playing the soldier, playing the widowmaker. Um, dude was just chilling, like lasering down people. I think Hisu just wasn't able to kind of get in the same the same amount of impact. Um, Toronto still managed to get a win on um on the first map on Ilios, but Washington, I think, from there just take it three straight maps for the win. This one was a little bit of a weird one because it's like you you liked I, I liked some of the stuff I was seeing from Toronto and then they just couldn't never seem to um, like this had like so many. It felt like there was a lot of like extended fights in this this one where it's like, oh, you think the fight is over, then it wasn't over. And and that, that there was some of that early, you know, in other games. But like this is this is like the weirdest game of the week for me. Um, it's really hard to 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 pinpoint it, at least for this one. Um, I think Happy did have some like pop off movements for sure. Uh, I was a little confused because like they they at first for for Washington, they had Kalios, then they, they go to Mag the rest. Of, I think the rest of the way too, or no, they do go back to Kalios. I couldn't remember, but like uh, they were kind of switching back and forth. And I think they used like three, four different tanks too, like as far as like heroes. So. I wasn't exactly sure what like Washington just kind of felt like a roller coaster a <laughs> little bit. Um, it was interesting as well. Like it, I know people had similar concerns as they have last year, where if this support line was going to be able to hold up the snuff um, compared to other ones, I think that Krillin particularly played pretty well. Um, I don't really have much to say on opener. Um, Lucio's Toronto, hard. I think Lucio's hard to yeah. like really know, but um, we'll talk about them more in a second. A little bit. Um, Atlanta reigned 3-0 over New York Excelsior. Um, it really just felt like for this one, New York didn't really have an answer for what for like we talked about with Dallas. Um, yeah. Kings Ro- Kings Row and Route 66 are both like decent fights for New York as well. But I think Atlanta's just able to be so much more effective in accomplishing what they want to do. I thought Atlanta was pretty dominant in this game. You know, I know that like New York gets some distance in in those two maps, but like Atlanta was sitting with like time in the bank for those two. Like they they were sitting pretty like the entire game. Um, 
it, it definitely felt like there wasn't an answer for New York for what was happening to them. And they they really like the the one thing that you kind of saw Yaki do pretty well, at least in, in the previous game that they played was he, he was able to, to do some stuff on the Echo. And like it just did not work. Uh, like you really didn't even I don't even know how much he, he even played Echo in this game. But you know what I mean? But like one of the things that seemed to make them effective, they couldn't even do. So uh, I, I think you give a lot of credit to what Atlanta was doing because like they could not deal with the Tracer and the Doom like Hawk and Nero together. Super like they were always like target focusing. Yeah. They were like on it. And uh, made it super tough on on Myungbung, who was playing the the Anna. So that that's I can't remember though. Too, I feel like they they switch like back and forth too between who's been playing Anna for them. Um, like I think of the the previous game that we saw them in, wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it Gang Young Jim who was playing the uh, the Anna? Or, or am I going crazy? Um, I thought Myungbong played the Ana most of the time. No, he did. Okay, it was pretty much the entire time. I, I couldn't remember if, if they had switched off or not, but, you know, I, I it felt like a tough game for Myungbong. Like, he didn't really get to have be an effective player. So, mm. but again, that's because he was dead because the Doomfist and the Tracer were jumping on his head. So, so like, yeah. uh, Hawk never died, it felt like, too, on the Doomfist. So, like, there, there was just so much going for Atlanta. Um, and I think after, you know, this first week, they're one of the teams that have looked the best. Um, Boston versus Washington, Boston uprising, Los Angeles gladiators three, one for glads. Boston managed to get a punch in, uh, during the, on Eigenwald, um, but still pretty strong game from glads. Yeah. I think glads just had the better composition for the most part in this. Like you saw a lot of like Reaper stuff from boston in this one and like it had its place on certain maps um but it just didn't seem like they they really could compete on those maps where, where it wasn't as effective um they, they did put up some decent showings on some of the maps but but it de- definitely felt like the like the gladiators just looked really good throughout the entire the entire game so mm-hmm. but again I don't think Boston's as bad as some people are making them out to be. They still get, were able to take a map off of the Gladiators, who I definitely think are are one of the better teams. London Spitfire 3-0 roll over Vancouver Titans. Um, this is where I think I kind of I get to eat my words from last week a little bit. London looked so much stronger. Sparker, Backbone, um, both really kind of taken to task. And Vancouver just could not seem to fight back it like to assert themselves, I think, in a strong enough way. Oh, they were doing a lot of different things, too, right? Like, like, I feel like this is one of the games where from both teams, we saw like the least amount of like what what's sort of been mm-hmm. the meta comp or like the base comp, right? Like, I don't, I don't think there was as much of that in this game as you, you'd seen in others. Like there was some, but like, I feel like there was a couple of maps where, where, where stuff was kind of wild. So I don't know, like, like this is I, I kind of thought that London was the better team of these two. I just didn't think it was going to be a 3-0. But I, there's nothing in this game to be their team where you're like, yeah, they're going to be other teams, though. You know what I mean? Even though it was a 3-0 win for London, um, I still see them having trouble with a lot of those teams that are above them. Yeah, I get you. And then Florida Mayhem 3-1 over Paris. Um, Florida looking really strong here. 
um pretty pretty effective wins except for i think that for uh, midtown where they do lose um the new maps are a little interesting i think they've i feel like the the new maps might have might be a little bit more volatile than some of the like some of the maps that players might be a little bit more used to as far as like maybe upset, a little I th- upset potential not as much but like i th- i don't think it's like for sure for sure but either way um florida looks really strong here uh still kind of running with the same thing i was wondering if we were going to see xe at all this weekend and we didn't really um they had hydron checkmate in as their primary dps duo um but hydron played well so like oh yeah you know who knows what's got you know i don't know i I almost feel like you'd want to see Exe play soldier so i'm I'm not sure i don't know i don't know I i would very much like to yes but um we'll see I mean, Hydrod played well, so maybe they think Hydrod's better of the two. It's hard to say sometimes with some of this stuff, but I, I do think for Florida that um, they are definitely one of the better. You know, they're they're not at the bottom. They're definitely not at the bottom. So definitely, I think they're solidly in that middle pack there. Middle offer, um, I would say, yeah. And then Dallas Fuel three zero Washington Justice. Uh, this is pretty straightforward. Um, Dallas look much better day two. Um, strong wins on maps one and three. Um, Eichenwald is a little bit tighter with the justice, but um, yeah, it just felt like they did like Washington kind of had the same issue that we've seen from them in the past where they go from looking really good against lower mid table teams to once they have like solid competition. It just is not there. That definitely felt part of it. I think Dallas had a much better day in this one i think that they played their comp a lot better i think fielder had a much more of an impact um fearless played a lot better i i think again this is also like play style wise you know they were playing against a team who's basically played the almost the same comp as them the entire time right so i think when they they have a better answer for what they were seeing from washington than what they were seeing from houston so i think that makes a difference too um and i i'm just curious to see how they continue to move forward because i i still don't think it was like the the cleanest or best game from dallas so they started off slow last year too and and they kind of started slow at in almost every single um stage so Mm. i'm curious if this is just you know similar to what we've seen in previous years from dallas where you know they just start off slow and, and really get to know what they're running and then once they they really have things down and they understand how they want to handle different compositions, then they're going to just take off. Like it, it might be the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Don't disagree. Um, we are, we were joking about that. Houston is already in the, uh, the diagram, the, uh, the cycle of Missouri where it's, you beat Dallas, you're feeling great. You lose to a mid table team. Awesome. Like, so Toronto defiant three, two over Houston outlaws. Um, like you said a little bit earlier, it very much felt like like Toronto had a very solid plan for how to kind of fight Houston on these on this game. Yeah, um, I think a lot of a lot of tracer, I think, was one of the things that they did. So you have better access to the Anna because you didn't see the same effect there. So I think that was like one of the things, at least that seemed, you know, this is me just kind of we don't get to see everything. But just something that that I noticed that was significantly different than what we were seeing um, come through from Dallas the previous week. Muse also looks really good in this game. Um, 
I think him being allowed to be a little bit more aggressive um, really kind of pushed with that Winston. You saw he had a lot of primal rage kills across that whole game, especially on the both of the control maps. Um, looks really, really good. Yeah, that definitely makes a difference too. Like, like even when they were kind of, you know, not full mirror, but like when they had the, the Dante um, Doom as well, only like uh, was the only difference. Like they seem to handle the Doom Fist better than what Dallas did too. But you're right though. Like they, they definitely handled um, some of the, uh, you know, they were, they were definitely the, the better team of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I think you nailed it when you talked about just they had better access to the Ana. It felt like in this one, whereas when Houston played Dallas, there were so many more fights where Iris, where Iris was able to get out with the sleep or was able to hit these really huge nades. Iris was dead so often just because you had Finale on the Tracer just on top of him the whole time. I also think like Twilight had like a nutty game. Like, yeah, he, he had... You know, he he needed to have a bit of a bounce back game from the game he had previously, too. So I, I think that was like part of it, too, is like you kind of had a guy playing a little bit out of his mind in Twilight. So like there there was definitely a couple of different factors. I thought Muse actually played pretty well, too. Like they, they definitely Toronto looked a lot better in this game. It's funny, too, because like really the, the biggest difference from what they were doing compared to what we saw Dallas doing was they played a lot more Tracer. Um, they still played the Genji though as well, but but they just you know the the the, tr- the little bit of tracer to get to the back line I think can make a little bit of a world of difference sometimes. Well, and I think there is issues as well where Pelican is Pelican starts off on the Echo and while it works so well against Dallas, he's just getting sh- so sh- he gets shut down really hard from Edison. I think. You mean uh, he was it Hisu? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm you're thinking, switching you, teams. Yeah, you, no, Hisu shut him down a bunch to where he had to go Genji instead. Yeah, and and I think part of that is because if you're playing Liana and you have the the tracer that you're trying to deal with, like you you don't get to put the same attention on your your echo in the sky. Um, so it, it's one thing affecting the other. It almost seems like a little bit in that way. Um, so so Pelicans not be able able to be as effective because your Anna's not as effective. And that leads to Pelican eventually switching, but then now you're behind an all charge and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Plus, like the the Genji's not able to get in the face of a tracer as much as they are for like a soldier or something else. So Genji does pretty well against tracer. Like if you have your if you have your abilities, like Genji wins that fight a lot. Um, if you're if you're a good Genji, so like the Genji can work. Um, it's just a matter of like, where's your focus though in the fight, right? So, so mm-hmm. like, 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 there's different instances. Like, like the, the the Genji Tracer matchup is a little bit different. Yes, sir. Well, we'll take a quick preview. Um, yeah, I'm. He, it, it strikes me as very much the Houston problem, where like, I'm concerned that we're going to get to a spot where like next week, like Houston's always been a team where they have a very specific strategy they want to go with. And it's often felt like if they if that strategy does not work, they kind of are a little bit at a, at a loss for what they want to do next. And and next um, week's a little bit scary. <laughs> yes. And I mean, it's it's early to call that. Definitely. But just knowing Houston, knowing traditionally what they've been like, mm-hmm. it gives me it gives me cause for concern. Well, I mean, I guess we could go into that. The, the quick preview here of next week, then, if you want. Let's do it. 
Um, on Friday, we have Florida Mayhem versus Vancouver Titans at 12 p.m. Um, all these are Pacific time. San Francisco Shock, Houston Outlaws at 1.30. Uh, Atlanta Rain versus Washington Justice at 3 o'clock. Um, and like you said, San Francisco is going to be a really tough game for Houston. Yeah, I think that one... Uh, I'll be curious to see Atlanta, Washington as well for Friday. Uh, Florida, I expect, it, you know, they, they should handle Vancouver. You would. You think. We right. always think. But we'll, we we have been proven wrong before. Plenty of times. Um, on Saturday, you've got London Spitfire at noon versus Boston Uprising. Dallas Fuel versus LA Gladiators at one thirty. And Toronto Defiant versus New York Excelsior at three o'clock. I'm realizing there's no Thursday games for this coming week. Interesting. Yeah. But I imagine that's just because they have so many more. Like it's kind of front loaded a little bit. And then once APAC starts, it'll be a little bit less each week. Right. Um, but yeah, London, Boston, Dallas Gladiators, Vancouver, New York. Dallas Gladiators should be really interesting. Yeah, that one. I think that might even about. be mm-hmm. that might even be the marquee game of the weekend. It's definitely the one that I'll be looking at probably the closest for sure. And then wrapping up on Sunday with Houston Outlaws versus Florida Mayhem, um, San Francisco Shock at New York Excelsior, Paris Eternal versus Toronto Defiant. Um, Florida is a team that I feel like is below Houston, but I can definitely see them kind of going to that level just with how how hot or cold I am prepared for this team to be. But um, I think Tor- I'm also interested in the Toronto game this weekend because I, I would really like to see where this team is going to kind of um, follow up to. I could see them being really strong and being kind of towards the upper end of the mid table, or they might just be in the same spot as they were last year. Yeah, this will really be a big one for the Houston, Florida one, because I think that that one. Um, I kind of have those teams right next to each other, so I'm really curious to see. I do have Houston a little bit above Florida, but. Like this is, I think, should be a good one. Um, and then Paris Toronto should be interesting as well, as far as like really seeing, okay, was that first game kind of a fluke for Toronto? Like what's really going on with them? Cause this is another team. I believe that Paris should be below Toronto, but you know, what is Toronto really? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting pieces in Toronto. Um, they could go really far. I and holding off judgment, at least probably for another couple of weeks. I will. I think once we give it a little bit of time for teams to establish kind of what their identity is, it'll be a little bit easier to make those kinds of judgment calls. Yeah, I, I'm curious too. Like, I think that we're, we stay on this patch throughout the stage. Um, stages are going to look very different. Like, as far as like even just patch notes for Overwatch two going into the next week, like we can already, you know, for the beta, like we're already seeing like significant changes get thrown in there. So I think it's kind of cool to kind of see them kind of get to to play on this early patch. And sure, we have some things that are like super strong, like soldiers, not a must pick, but almost a must pick on every map. So um, how these teams adapt here in this this short amount of time that you have with the game being this way, I'm curious to kind of just continue to watch. All right. And I got let's I'm trying to think of the right way to see this to word this because I know it's a little bit more in depth. than I initially thought. Um, we have one bit of ABK news before we wrap up. Um, so according to Steven Totilio of um, Axios Gaming, um, the New York City is suing Activision, um, saying Bobby Kotick was unfit to negotiate the Microsoft deal and that the deal was rushed to get him and the board out of danger of lawsuits over how they handled misconduct at the company. Um, 
And then there's a fo- there's a follow up to it from I think Richard Hoag at Hoag Law. I'm um, saying that so this is actually a books and records request, not a more substantive lawsuit. It's not filed by the city, but by funds that have an investment interest in Activision. And to be frank, the 98% shareholder approval really harms the value is too low, really harms the quote value is too low and probably negotiated argument. Um, but yeah, so it looks like yeah, there's there is a complaint listed by uh, the city of new york just to get i guess further details on the deal itself Mm -hmm. um where is it i'm trying to see even where this comes from because like plaintiff yeah nature's nature of the action plaintiffs bring this action to enforce the right to inspect certain corporate books and records of abk um a delaware corporation ha 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 um plaintiffs seek to Plaintiffs seek to expect these documents to investigate possible wrongdoing and or breaches of fiduciary duty by the board directors of the company in connection with Activision's pending acquisition by Microsoft Corporation. Plaintiffs further seek to access the certain books and records to investigate the independence and disinter- the independence and disinterestedness of the board. Um, I think part of it that's in there is that, let's see. Um, with the announced merger, Kodak will be able to escape liability and accountability entirely and will instead continue to serve as an executive after the merger closes. Worse, despite his potential liability for breaches of fiduciary duty, the board allowed Kodak himself to negotiate the transaction with Microsoft. The board's decision to entrust him with the negotiation process is inexcusable for the additional reason that he stands to personally receive substantial material benefits whose value is not directly aligned with the merger price. Given the board's own potential liability and its decision to entrust negotiations to Kodak, it is unsurprising that Activision appears to have received no value at all for the derivative claims Activision could have asserted against its leadership. Separate and apart from the fairness of the merger price and process, the board's failure to realize or even try to realize value for these derivative claims constitutes its own breach of fiduciary duty. So it's somebody I so from what I can gather on here, um, it is a certain set of people who are putting a request for further evidence um, saying that they think that Bobby Kotick was unfit and didn't do, and him and the board did not do their fiduciary duty in order to actually um, like while during their time in the company. However, when you look at the amount, like the approval rating that this has, I guess that the merger already has, I think it says 98%. Mm -hmm. um, It makes it really unlikely that anything is going to come of this. I mean, it, it, it's it's not insignificant, uh, as Richard Hoeg says, but but it is something, you know, um, I don't know. Like, like when you hear sort of what what's being said, though, it's like, is he is he going to completely not be liable for things that happen? I don't necessarily believe so, you know, so so like I, I don't necessarily agree with everything that that was presented forward or for what they're saying. But like at the same time, who knows? Right. Um, we we just have some more and more information that comes out. It's like every week. It's every week there's something. So, uh, it, it'll be something to pay attention to. But I, I don't think it's as significant as some of the other stuff that that is happening. Yeah, I agree. Um, we'll see if it goes anywhere. But I think that's going to be it for us today. Unless you have anything else you really want to touch on for week one of the Overwatch League, my friend. No, I uh. It was nice to get back into the swing of things with the league. It was nice to have games to watch. I um, I guess I'll say this. Uh, Lemon 
has been somebody who's been on the grind. Same thing with leg day, same, you know, Trid, Nekara, they, they, they've all been people that have been on the grind for a long time. Um, I'm super excited that they get their chance. I thought Lemon was particularly, and this is obviously a play-by-play bias thing for me specifically, but um, I thought she was really impressive in her debut. I thought that Mm -hmm. her and leg day had a really good showing, but specifically Lemon, I thought was really really good and um i wanted to make mention of that because you know this is somebody that that i've worked with for a very long time and who's worked so hard so it's awesome to see this happen and um it it was it was a matter of time but it was maybe something that should have happened sooner so i'm i'm glad that this has finally happened for her and same thing with nekara nekara's been a rock star all over the place so it, it, it's not a surprise to me that she's getting her overwatch league chance finally definitely it was really interesting too because you looked at like leg day and lemon come in with such a specific energy which was really cool like they have a very it's very clear that these people have spent thousands of hours on the mic together they have their like back and forth already locked in they have a set personality which is really great um, it's something I've enjoyed about certain duos in the past is that when certain people cast a game, it's almost a separate experience because you have those different personalities in there. Yeah, it's nice to have different personalities, right? Uh, people that bounce off of each other in different ways. It's nice that they took a pair up together finally, too, mm-hmm. in Lemon and Leg Day. Like, um, you know, Lemon and Leg Day haven't been together as long as like other pairs that Lemon has had. But they've been together now, I think, like a year and a half or so or almost two years. Yeah, I think um, so. So I'm glad to see that they finally do that where they, they keep two people together, sort of like Uber and Axe have been together forever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that those sort of things uh, make a significant difference for how people work together. So I, I'm super happy for stuff like that. Definitely agree. And we'll still be seeing, I think, Vicky and Trid next week. I would I imagine a pack. I think they're a pack. So I think that's when you'll see them. I think. Gotcha. Because I think that it's them and, and Avril don't have to do every single game. Yeah, I think that's that's like what at least that's like my read of what we've seen so far. Um, it would make sense too that with there's less games that you would only have two pairs for a pack and then everybody else is N.A. Um, because you have significantly more games yeah yes sir well we're looking forward to seeing it next week uh for push the point we're working on what we're gonna do for next week since for the first time ever um you're not gonna believe this labosco is gonna miss an episode um so we've talked about in the past what our schedule is going to be like for this year um i know between between my work and uh me now being on the path to hopefully getting married in a couple months it's going to be a really kind of hectic on my end but um more than likely i think i'll i think we'll be back next week yeah i i probably won't because i'll be out of town uh i got oh some, yeah no lobo will be gone uh, i'll be but, the first episode where I'll, I'll the the record will finally be broken for 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 me so you know i've made it to every single episode that'll be the first one that i miss man now I got to think of who we're going to I got to think of who's going to try and make the save. There, there's a couple. I'm sure you've got a couple in mind. Oh, it'll be that. it'll be fine. I'm not worried. Yeah, but I, it'll I didn't be, say you were worried. I just I'm sure you've already got a couple in mind. So, 
We shall make it happen. But thanks for hanging out for episode 133 of Push the Point. We appreciate you being here. If you want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It makes it easier for people to find us. Plus, we get to find out what you guys like about the show and what we can make better. Um, I was going to check with you about this, Tabasco. We only have the beta for about nine more days <laughs> until it's it will be disappearing for a little bit. So we'll have to figure out. If not for this time, I think with because schedules have been so crazy, at least when the next beta starts, maybe getting in another game night. Yeah, next beta, it'll have to be because I'm out of town for like two weeks. So I, I should be in time for the episode after this one coming up. But again, you know, what can you do uh, as far as betas? That's how they go, right? You get a limited time with them and then you got to wait and then you get another one eventually. So hopefully the next one's a little bit more open too than this beta was. Not that this beta was like, this beta was pretty open as well, but still, you know what I mean? Like, I hope that we get it a little bit easier access to it than we have this last time. Um, yeah. That's my hope, at least. So, yeah, it, it, it's definitely been enjoyable, but I hope they continue to bring us some good stuff. Um, also, if you want to join us potentially when that good stuff happens, Discord down the enemy slash mash those buttons to find out when we're going to do like a game like for that, whenever we end up do having one of those. Maybe you'll do one without me. You know, that's possible to do. Uh, patreon.com slash mash those buttons to support the network directly little as a dollar a month gives you access to patreon exclusive content at pushpoint pod is the twitter push the point at gmail.com to email us uh you know do all the good stuff yes sir if you want to follow Labosco on twitter you can find him at Labosco. you can find me on twitter at ramsey's underscore ow so if you want to hear if you want to if you want some daily one piece tweets or me bugging the Bosco or bugging a couple other of my friends over Twitter. We're your guys. Um, and if you want to follow the podcast, we already talked about it, but push point P O D. And yeah, I think that's going to be it. Final thoughts on week one. All right, let's go to week. Well, you'll go to week two. I'll see you week three. <laughs> All righty. We'll reconvene for then. Thanks for hanging for episode one thirty three of push the point. We appreciate you. We'll see you later. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash the Mash Network, facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash Discord. 